Well, good morning. All right, the, uh, the obvious questions, right? How many of you are full, right? No, seriously, how many of you, this, I, I am serious about this one, how, how many of you already have your Christmas stuff out? Show of hands. Oh, you overachievers. You're so awesome. And I don't think I have to have the rest of you raise your hands, right? I mean, it's like, no, we don't have it out yet. So this is a beautiful, uh, those of you that do not have your stuff out yet, this is, this is exactly where we need to be positioned between uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday because we, we can get into all the angels and the stars and the manger scenes and so forth. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, our kids next week, it's going to be awesome. You're going to want to see the fumbly bumbly angels, but they're going to be starting our Advent, right? There's a there's a, there's a season before Christmas in the church called Advent. And we look, we long for that which is to come. And the season of Advent is just that where we prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to, to that point of Christmas. Now, granted, we start unpacking boxes, we look at pictures, we you know, look at kids' ornaments and so forth. It, it, there's nostalgia, there's all kinds of beauty and celebration to it. But this... Uh, this I, I was thinking, what, what do we start on? Do we go ahead and start Christmas, or do we just end on some other part of Thanksgiving and being, being thankful? And, you know, there's nothing better than celebrating uh, Christmas joy, that, that Jesus really is our Christmas joy. Before we even get into the Gospels that, that are the, the go-to Gospels, Luke and Matthew and the narratives of the angels and the wise men and the baby Jesus and so forth, to take a to take a look at the Christmas story that is, that is sort of unusual or not our norm. Each of the Gospels have an agenda. Each of the Gospels give us the, the life of Jesus, and the Gospels are a, a beautiful filter for us to know and understand Christ. But this morning, I want to just come, not necessarily before, before we get to the feels of it, right? Before we get into the feels of the holiday, to just embrace the intellect, embrace our mindset on what Christmas joy is. Now, I know there's a typo on there, but do you hear what I hear, right? Do you hear here, or what does it say? Uh, do you hear what hear? So, do you hear what hear? Um, but do you hear what I hear is one of those Christmas songs, you know, do you hear what I hear? Do you see what I see? Do you know what I know? And this morning, I just want to just engage our minds and look at uh, a Christmas passage that doesn't tell us all of the accoutrements, right? All of the players, but gives us the meaning of Christmas. And so if you have your scriptures, I'd love for you to turn to 1 John. 1 John was written by the Apostle John, who uh, also wrote the Gospel of John. And so when you see the Gospel of John, you read 1 John and the letters of John, you see many themes that are similar John is at least known by church fathers as the one who most likely died of old age. He was not martyred for the faith like the rest. John was, uh, uh, was one that they would, they would help in coming into the church. He was the older apostle. He was the rock star, if you will. And when he was brought in in his later life, it says that his verbiage was reduced to a few words. And this old saint would be brought into the church and he'd be positioned and sit down in the fellowship and he would just simply say, keep loving one another, keep loving one another, keep loving one another. And John writes this 
Christmas story in 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared when we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John, the apostle, the great proclaimer and preacher, the apologist of what he had seen and what the apostles and what the others had seen and touched They were ones that gave the beautiful message. They are the ones that desired to, with their very lives, to stand on the testimony of what they experienced in Christ. When we begin to look at Christmas joy, Christmas joy is everything that the feels can come, but today we can can stand on the fact that Christmas joy is a person. Christmas joy is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And with that, John gives us, uh, I think that if you hear what I hear out of this passage, I think we can see that John talks about the gift of salvation. He talks about fellowship of God, the fellowship with God and the fellowship of God. And then, of course, we see here that love really matters. When we see the gift of salvation, we, we look at, at, the, at the point to where he is The word of life, John says. Now, his gospel is very similar. Words that are probably familiar to you through through the study of John's gospel. He begins by saying that the word was God and the word was with God. That the word was Jesus, the logos. Whether you were a Hebrew trying to embrace the fact that Jesus was that who was talked about in the Old Testament, or you were a Greek and you were into philosophy and so forth, and your important power was Lagos, John the apologist in his gospel is saying, listen, that which you've heard of Jews and that which you continue to espouse in in philosophy, man, I'm telling you, it comes into one person, the Christmas joy, Jesus of Nazareth. John is saying, that he is the word. In his epistle of 1 John, he says he's the word of life. You see, that life is the gift of salvation. We unpack the feels of all of this. We cannot help but feel and know the necessity of what we were and how we were and what we received in the gift of salvation of Jesus. You know, we have a world that has differing worldviews. There are differing religions. There are differing pathways, right? And so what we'll hear is that sometimes I've even heard it in Christian circles, and it, and it kind of is one of those kind of quirky feels that you get, and you're like, oh, this is not the right time to correct that, but boy, I would really like to have a further conversation. But we'll hear it in the world and even in the church that being good and living a good life is what pleases God, and that is got a plenty of truth. But if we're not careful... Just like in John's day, the, as he was apologizing for the faith, not apologizing in the way of being, you know, 
but a, being an apologist, meaning saying, listen, these are the things that we've seen. These are the things we've unpacked. And the Christmas joy is a person. He's the word of life. He's eternity. He is the fellowship. He is the one that we now share in fellowship with. And it's what, the one who drives us in our acting out of love. You see, doctrine would have been important. Sometimes I've even heard in the life of the church where people say, you know, I, I, doctrine is... You know, I, I don't know that I don't know that doctrine is so important to me. Well, that that that's I, I get that because sometimes it's difficult to, to wrap our minds around certain doctrines. But if we begin that with our salvation, that just being a good person is enough, then what we do is we actually believe a doctrine of salvation by works. And the beautiful thing is that we realize that when we unpack the Christmas boxes, and we remind ourselves year after year after year about the coming of Christ, we can remind ourselves that Jesus is the gift of salvation. You see, most other religions have a guru or a, a prophet or someone that's leading us down a pathway, maybe leading us to that which could free us. Even in, even in secular thought processes, our guru will lead us down pathways of peace or meditation. What we understand from the Gospels and what we understand from the Word of God is that Jesus is the peace. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is eternity. And through that, the very gift of God that, that was a babe lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, John gives us the broader view that says in the very beginning that they had the purpose in Christ to be the one who would gift us salvation. Bob Yarbrough is a New Testament scholar. And uh, he, he sees just in these four verses that the verbs, the vibrant verbs that John uses, he describes it this way, that the variety of verbs correspond with the variety of witness attestations in ancient jurisprudence. Meaning that John is as giving a deposition. These first four verses of starting his epistle are not just a conversation. This is not just an apostle who is saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, and it's conversational. No, he's saying, as one who would give a legal deposition in court, no, we have seen him. We have touched him. He's touched our lives. This Jesus of Nazareth is the one. He is the Christmas joy, right? He is the one that is salvation. He doesn't just lead us to salvation. As a matter of fact, John in his gospel, chapter 14, says Jesus out of his own mouth, out of his own breath, out of his own mind and heart, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If this is the first time or the time that you've heard this you know, almost ad nauseum when you come to a church, it's because the very message, that which we proclaim, the singing that we sing, everything that rises to hopefully the ears of God in our worship are to proclaim Jesus. And friend, if you do not know him, I would challenge you to keep on learning about him. The tension that you might have, that you fight against, I would just suggest to you, you're not fighting against that which is man-made. No, this was... From the very beginning, John says that Jesus was going to be the restorer and the redeemer of the world and that the mission was set forth and that the very tensions of the very things that you want to put away, you cannot because Christ is your salvation. Friend, I pray that you would continue to seek Jesus. 
You see, that's why in the life of the church, we might easily say, well, Christmas is the, kind of the made-up holiday of things. You know, it was a pagan replacement and so forth. Okay, you, you, you got me on all that. But let me suggest to you that when we unpack Christmas every year, it allows us to renew our faith, re renew our resolve, that the gift of salvation is a person. It's nothing that we can do, that it's all through him from the very beginning even before we had the feels. You see, because if you hear what I hear in this passage, you'll also see that there's fellowship with God. God decided to come near. You see, the very thing that we rejoice in the fact is that, that he brought himself to us, that God comes near, that God did everything. He, did, he worked through infinite amount of ways to allow the Savior to come to us. You know, there's a the passage, uh, the passage, but the, the, the verse of, of one of an, another Christmas song, it says, veiled in flesh, incarnate be, right? Incarnate God we see. We see, we see through John's gospel, John's letters, but we see him. He's not a God that has just stayed distant. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of of, of wrath, right? He's a God of love, and all of that is so difficult for us to wrap our minds around. But John is saying, listen, when we unpack Christmas in not its usual frame of angels and so forth, that we open our minds and, and renew our minds and our hearts on the fact that the gift of salvation desired fellowship with us enough to not leave us alone in our own despair, in our own mess, in our own chaos. He came to us. You see, the very glory of God you couldn't see. Moses, don't look at the bush. Don't look at the fire. Right? When it comes to our eyes, we raise our kids and we say, hey, don't do that. You'll poke your eye out. Right? And then don't look at the sun. You'll just send your retina. Right? I mean, we do that with our kids. We can't see the power of God. We can't see the glory of God because it's, it's too massive. But what God does is in desiring fellowship with us, he comes to us. And as Wesley said in his Christmas hymn, veiled in flesh, the God we see. He veiled everything. He did everything. He put away glory for a season. He put away those things so that he could come and be in our world. And so that we could know that God certainly is holy, but in his holiness, he desires and longs for us to have fellowship with him. You know, I went to uh, Butler University one time. I was at a youth camp and we took a trip up and, and they have this telescope that actually looks at the sun, you know? And it was, it was pretty cool. You know, you climb the stairs, just like you see in the movies, unless you've already seen one of those. It was kind of a new experience for me. And you climb the stair and you look in there and it was amazing to actually see the sun in, in its glory and what it's doing. It's so bright that we can't look at it, but it takes a filter. It takes something to, to, to be able to see the real workings of the awesomeness of, of that large star. You see, it's the same way with, with Jesus, the same way with God, to, to really unveil the, 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 the realities of the, the holiness and the wrath and, the, and just the awesomeness of our God. You see, he through the Holy Spirit, he's given us the Gospels that we can look and see. We can look at them and see and experience through this beautiful filter the very love of Christ, the very deity of Christ, and 
in measure that we can see intellectually and embrace it. See, that's why we go through the Gospels. That's why we continue to study it because what it does is it helps us focus on the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And that glory says he desires fellowship with us. He wants relationship with us. He went to infinite lengths to get here and he desires for us to embrace and learn more of Christ. And those of us that have done that and those of you that continue to do that, it's amazing how you continue to learn about him, about his way, about his walk, about how he confronted those that were enemies. There is so much to learn. It's infinite amount of learning. Even if we would memorize the passage, the application and the, the growth and the maturity of our own souls will continue to be mastered by, by the Holy Spirit as we study about our Jesus. You see, he desires for us to know that he desires fellowship with us. And then, do you hear what hear? Excuse me. Do you hear what I hear? We see that he desires for us to to truly know that not only is the gift of salvation and fellowship, but it's also that love really matters. I know we've heard it, we've read it, we've watched the TED Talks, we've studied it in university, that really love is just a, a collection of the molecules in our, in our brain, and it's just, it's just the brain firings. And if we're limited in love, it's probably from our ancestry and and all of those things. And science gives us wonderful understandings of how the brain works and the brain operates. What John would say is, hey, that's beautiful, but let me just remind you that in the beginning, the very, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have touched, that love began way before the brain cells could do their work, even before we could even imagine. You see, love truly matters. It's amazing around Christmas time how love matters. I mean, we're, we're loving more, we're giving more, and it doesn't matter if we're the church or the world. We, it's like we're in tandem to, to be a better humanity. And then, and then the, the, the credit card bills come in January, and we just sort of forget, and we just like, oh, my goodness. But boy, the holidays are, you know, sometimes I wonder if there would be benevolence, right, at all if it wasn't for our Jesus. But see, love matters. It's a... It's the incarnate one who loved us enough to come to us and then die for us so that he might redeem us back to himself. The world has its pulls, but we have a Savior that desires to, to not just love us, but to pour his Spirit into us so that we can make a difference in this world and that love makes all the difference. There's a, uh, a couple weeks ago, some of you that are Marvel fans, you'll you'll know that uh, Stan Lee died. And what I, what I always loved about the, the, at least the last decade or so of the Marvel movies is, you know, I always wait for the end credits uh, because that's always fun with the Marvel movie. But I also wonder when Stan Lee's going to show up, you know? He always makes a cameo, sort of like those of you that know Hitchcock and other directors and writers that make a cameo. But the Stan Lee ones are kind of fun in these, in these movies. You're like, what's he going to do? What's he going to be? You see, certainly our God showed up. He showed up. He showed up in our movie. But even better than Stan Lee, he, he was the one that, that, that said that love mattered so much that even before, before there was the world, love existed. 
And then love created the world. And in brokenness, love continued to love and now is redeeming the world. You see, our Jesus is is the epitome, right? We say Jesus equals love, just like we say Jesus equals salvation. The gift that we unbox and that we look at again year after year is one that we can put our heart and our mind in. And then love matters so much to him that even before we failed, they knew that they wanted fellowship enough with us that he would come and that the love that was spent on a cross would matter for all eternity. John says that he is eternity. Some of you may be familiar with Dorothy L. Sayers. She was a a writer. Um, She did detective novels, detective mysteries. And in that, she, uh, she, she thinks that her work, her, her, her best work was uh, Dante, her interpretation or, uh, uh, of, of Dante's Inferno, but, but most would have known her as a, as a detective writer. And she was uh, a brilliant woman. She was one of the first women to have, uh, have graduated from Oxford. Eloquent writer. And she probably was best known for her uh, for her character, Lord Peter Whimsey. And Lord Peter Whimsey was uh, an investigative detective. And just like writers will do, you see that they do their job, but then you get their backstory and you understand them. And, and as the character develops, you, you can't help but, you know, like the character. Well, in these novels, uh, it was, became pretty clear that Peter was, he was kind of lonely. He was just a detective, you know? And so then she began to to bring a woman into the situation. Her name was Harriet Vane. And Harriet then uh, kind of mysteriously was one of the first women to have graduated from Oxford. And Harriet was one who was a detective novel writer. And that this detective novel writer named Harriet uh, began a friendship with Peter and actually helped Sir Peter, Lord Peter, uh, you know, find out and discover and, and, and solve some crimes. And then, lo and behold, they fall in love and they live happily ever after. You see, many believe that, that Sayer actually put herself into the very story that she was writing and then lived happily ever after. You see, that's what God's doing to us. He's like, I'm writing your story, but I'm not just leaving you with with just life. I'm coming now into your story. I'm redeeming you. I'm loving you. Love matters enough not to just keep you distant or make a cameo. No, I'm all in. I'm full in. And he desires for our joy, as John says, to be made complete. You see, Jesus, our gift of salvation, Jesus, the one who desires ultimate fellowship with us, and Jesus who desires to continue to whisper or maybe even scream in our ear when life is a mess, love matters. You see, he's desiring for us to continue to fall in love with him because he has put himself into our story. And so John desires for us, I'm just going to add one word, that we write this to make our Christmas joy 
complete. Father, we love and thank you. We thank you for John who, through his words and through the power of the Holy Spirit, some 2,000 years, this little cryptic letter, we can grab so much just out of the first four verses of your love towards us. Father, I pray for the one who, or the many in this room, that just need to unpack Christmas and really experience the joy through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, may they look at their life, their messes, and just hand it over to him and allow him to change their life. For he is salvation. He is fellowship. He is love. May they find Jesus today. For the rest of us, Father, before we get into all the, all the feels of Christmas, all the beauty, may we take today as a glad reminder of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus means to us. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for being our joy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.